thank you for leading us and praise God uh, that we can stand in Christ and in Christ alone and be complete because that's not what we are in ourselves, uh, but we are that in Him. And so good to, to hear that sung this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. We'll continue our series in the book of Daniel, looking at the second half of chapter 2. This morning, uh, three days ago, we got to celebrate uh, the 243rd birthday of our nation. It was July of 1776 when we became a nation. But at that point, if you think back 243 years, we were far from being a world superpower at that point. But today, we are. Many people have called our nation the greatest nation on earth. There's statistics probably to back that up. A lot of people have personal stories to back that up. The United States of America, 2,600 years after the time of Daniel in Babylon, is a good place to live. And I'm grateful that God has given us the freedom that we have and put us in the place that he's put us at this time in history. But as we look back over the history of the world, We need to humbly acknowledge that no nation or empire lasts forever. Just like there are national birthdays and there are rises to power, there's also lots of historical evidence that nations will inevitably decline and eventually even die off. Over the centuries, nations have been born and nations have died. Empires, kings, and kingdoms have risen to power and just as quickly it seems have fallen away. When we left off last week, we were looking at this young king, King Nebuchadnezzar, a young king in a nation that was on the rise, was on its way to becoming, and maybe already had become, a world superpower. The nation was called Babylon, and the ruler, his name at this time, was King Nebuchadnezzar. Everything was going really well overall, if you looked at the big picture, but when we looked at chapter 2 last week, we saw that this young king was disturbed. What was he disturbed about? Well, he was disturbed about a dream that he had had. He was a religious man, not worshiping the God of the Bible, but worshiping some God and expected that the way the God he worshiped would reveal himself to him is through a dream. And so he had surrounded himself by some very skilled people, by some people who were skilled, uh, magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, who were skilled and trained in interpreting dreams. But the king made a difficult demand of these people. You remember what that difficult demand was? It wasn't the usual, hey, I had this dream, here's what it was, you tell me what it means. What was his demand? Tell me the dream and tell me what it means. Uh, and we talked about last week, how many times have we had a dream that we can't remember? Lots of times. And here he is telling me, you tell me what my dream was, and you tell me what my dream meant. The king was making some difficult demands, and he was disturbed because nobody was able to do it. Thankfully, God had been raising up this young man, a man who did worship the one true God, a man named Daniel. And among other things, God had given Daniel understanding in visions and dreams. I told you that was going to come into play later in the book, and here's where it comes into play. Daniel has been gifted by God in this way. He was a part of the best and brightest, taken captive out of the land, put in Babylon for the king's three-year re-education program. 
He was in the midst of that, committed to living a holy life. He would not defile himself with the king's food and the king's drink. He was going to live a life that honored God in the midst of Babylon. So this young man, probably still a teenager at this point early on in the program when Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel then asks his friends to pray. The reason he asks his friends to pray is because Nebuchadnezzar, the disturbed king making difficult demands, had gotten to a point where nobody was able to give him what he wanted and he was used to getting what he wanted. And so you know what he did? Remember? He made a deathly decree, right? You're all going to (laughs) die. Nobody can do what I'm telling you. And so all of you, wise men, enchanters, magicians, Chaldeans, you're all going to die. That's the plan. And Daniel requests an appointment with him, says, hold on a second. And he goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he tells them, you've got to start praying. And they pray, and God answers. And God gives Daniel the details of the dream and its interpretation. This is all last week, in case you weren't here. And that gets us to the point where now Daniel is standing before the king. And that's where we left it last week. And here's what I expect, because God's word is all breathed out by him and useful for teaching, correcting, training in righteousness and rebuking. We need this. We need God's word. And so God had a word he wanted to share with King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he gave it to him in a dream, but he didn't know it. And so God gave Daniel understanding that he could then proclaim that. And then the Holy Spirit carried Daniel along that he would write this down in Scripture because this was going to be useful for the exiles in Babylon. And it's useful for us today as well. And so my expectation is as we go through Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 49, we will learn this, that earthly kingdoms rise and fall but the kingdom of God stands forever. The dream was a prophetic dream. It was telling Nebuchadnezzar of what was to come. I'm looking forward to looking at it together this morning as we lead into a time of taking communion. And so our custom is that we stand as the word of God is read. And so if you're able to, would you please stand as we look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 49. Let's pray first, Father. Would you come and help us now by your Holy Spirit dwelling in all of us who believe? Would you bring about conviction of sin? Would you bring about hearts that long to submit to King Jesus? Hearts that are grateful to be called to be a part of his kingdom, to be rescued from the domain of darkness and put into the kingdom of the Son whom you love. What a privilege, Father. Help us to see that clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what God's Word says, Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 31. This is Daniel speaking, and he says this, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream 
Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. You can be seated. If you look in your bulletin, I did put an outline in there. I did put some application questions in there that may be helpful for you as well. Easy to see the structure of this passage. Daniel just lays it out really clear. You want to know the dream? Here's the dream. You want to know the interpretation? Here's the interpretation. And then we have the response of the king. We're not going to spend much time looking at the dream because Daniel explains it and it's pretty easy to see what it's about. Daniel begins in these first verses, 31 and following, to explain the dream. He tells the king, in your dream you saw an image. The image had a head, the head was made of gold. The image had had chest and arms, and the chest and arms were made of silver. Had a middle and thighs, those were made of bronze, and had legs made of iron and feet that were mixed iron and clay together. This was a great image. It was bright, it was frightening. And so Daniel just relays this information. Remember, the king's demand was, tell me my dream. And so Daniel says, here's your dream. And he gives him this picture, this image. But like most of our dreams, the dream wasn't just a picture. The dream was more like a video, right? There was something happening in the dream. And so it's not just here was this picture of an image, but it was also something happening. What was happening? Daniel goes on to explain that in verses 34 to 36. So in addition to this image, this picture of this image, 
there was also a stone. And he explains it as a, sta- a stone cut out by no human hand. And the stone does something. The stone comes in and it strikes the image, actually striking it down below in the feet of iron and clay, breaking them in pieces, and then all of it crumbles, as you would expect. You imagine a a big statue, right? And, And if the feet of the statue are taken out, then everything else falls and crumbles as well. But something interesting happens, something that stones don't typically do, unless you're a farmer and you pick rock out of your field. It feels like this happens. The stone grows, right? The stone begins to grow, becoming a great mountain and says it fills the whole earth. So you see the picture of this image and then also the action of this stone that comes in. And so Daniel just says, this was the dream. Now Daniel doesn't say this, I don't think, with arrogance because we've seen Daniel is a very humble man. He only knows what the king dreamt about because God revealed it to him. And so he humbly shares with the king, here was the dream that you had. This was the dream. I love how God gives Daniel details. Uh, You know, we we went to uh, Chung Garden recently as a family, and one of our kids got a fortune cookie. And the fortune cookie said, you will go to an event and meet an important person. That's the way fortune cookies talk. They just say really vague things. The one I have up on the screen, it says, a plan you have been working on for a long time is beginning to take shape. See, fortune cookies, they just kind of like say really vague stuff. You're like, oh, yeah. Same thing with like horoscopes that people that would read those things. Just very vague things that you could say, oh, yeah, for sure. But that's not the way that God seeks to communicate, not through fortune cookies and not through horoscopes, certainly. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking of how the functional religion of many people, what they know about God and who he is and what he's done and what he expects is very vague. A lot of people would claim to have this very general belief in God. Yeah, I've heard some things and I I believe there's a God. He's good. He wants me to be good. When I need him, I can ask him and I pray and then he helps me. Like that's the kind of vague general religion of a lot of people around us. But thankfully, God gives details. God gives us his word. We have more available to us than Daniel did at his time. But just as God gave Daniel detail so that he might know who God is and what God's plans are, and he might pass that on to others, so God gives us detail in his word. So just a a quick note about that before we move on. I love how God gives details to Daniel. But then I want to spend some time on this interpretation. That's what Daniel gets to here in the last part of verse 36 all the way through verse 45. Cool. Now the king knows what the dream is, but so what? Like, what does it mean? That's great. There's an image, and then a stone comes in, and the image falls down, and the stone grows and fills the earth. So what? What does this mean? Daniel's going to share also the interpretation because God has given that also. To Daniel. Now we will tell the king its interpretation, Daniel says at the end of verse 36. And then he speaks to King Nebuchadnezzar in some pretty glowing terms. Did you notice that when we read through it? You, O king, the king of kings. And he tells him a couple of important things. 
Daniel has referred so far to his God as the God of heaven. See, Nebuchadnezzar would have had other gods that he worshipped, but Daniel knows the one God, and he calls him here the God of heaven. And he lets Nebuchadnezzar know the God of heaven has given you the power, might, and glory that you have. I want you to know this, that any power that you have, O pagan king, comes from the God who is in heaven. He has power and authority evil over even you. And so he's given you this. And he tells him, I mean, imagine, I bet Nebuchadnezzar's kind of smiling at this part, don't you think? Like, the God of heaven has given you might and power and glory, and you are the head of gold. I mean, you think of that other stuff, like silver, that's fine, bronze is fine, all right, but the head of gold, yeah, that's me. Yeah, he's just kind of shaking his head, uh-huh, you're right. And Daniel goes on and tells him, there's another kingdom, though. This kingdom's inferior to you. It will arise after you. At first, I kind of thought, well, I bet this took the smile off Nebuchadnezzar's face, but maybe not. Because the next kingdom to come is going to come after him. All right, that's fine. At least I'm going to have my glory, right? And the other one's going to be inferior, so everybody's going to remember that my kingdom was better than that kingdom anyway. So maybe it didn't quite take the smile off his face yet. But I want us to note, as was noted in some of the things that were set up on the stage already, that we have a different vantage point. So we can look at Daniel, and and the first readers of Daniel, they were living in the middle of this part of history, or at the beginning of it, and we're living now after it. So this was a prophetic dream. This was a dream about what was to come. And so Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is the head of gold. That's this first kingdom that he's referring to here. But then another kingdom, we're told, is going to come. Now we can actually look back at this and put years on it. Okay? So the kingdom of Babylon from 625 to 539 B.C. was kind of the world's superpower. But the second kingdom, that would be an inferior kingdom that would rise up after Babylon, is the Medo-Persian Empire, which would last from 539 to 331 B.C. Okay? And then we've got another one coming. This is still in verse 39. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And we can look back in history and see pretty clearly that that next one was the great Greek Empire, which was in power from approximately 331 B.C. to 63 B.C. And Daniel continues with the interpretation, saying there's a fourth kingdom. This one's strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And we can look back and see him referring to the Roman Empire. So we can look back and see how God had given a prophetic dream to Nebuchadnezzar. He gave the interpretation to Daniel. Daniel's now sharing it with him. And we can look back and see that God is a God who knows how world history is going to go. And he had shared that with King Nebuchadnezzar. But he didn't share with him the dates. He didn't say, it's going to be called this empire, and it's going to reign from this date to this date, because that wasn't the main point. The main point was what's going to come in verses 44 to 45. We're going to get to that here in a moment. I want to finish this section out, though, because he does point out that this fourth kingdom is a kingdom that's going to have some division in it. And so it's going to be partly strong like iron, 
but also partly brittle because it's mixed with clay, and it will not hold together. And so what do all four of these four kingdoms have in common? All of them rise and all of them fall, right? And so now we get to the best part of the interpretation, and I think the theme of the book of Daniel right here in Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 to 45. Let's just read all of those two verses where it says this. And in those days, and in the days of those kings, it says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Daniel is revealing to King Nebuchadnezzar what God had revealed to him. And that is that earthly kingdoms will rise and fall, but God is in the process of setting up a kingdom that will stand forever, an indestructible kingdom. So there's not going, like world history is not just an endless cycle of like wars and treaties and nations rising and nations falling, but there is a new kingdom that's going to be breaking in that changes things forever. It's going to be coming when a stone, a stone not cut by any human hand, comes in. And we've had glimpses of this stone, of a, a rock who would be coming all throughout Scripture. We don't have time. If this is a Bible study. We'd have time to like walk through all of those. It's a sermon, and we've got other stuff going on this morning. And so I did put in your application guide some of those other glimpses that we've gotten uh, that you could take some time to look at. But I love how Daniel wraps this part up, reminding the king, it's not about me and, and the great skill and wisdom that I have. There's a great God who has revealed this to you. It's not one of your gods who gave you this dream who wanted to say something. It is the one true God, our great God, who has communicated to you through this dream, here's what is to come. You need to know this, king. And I think we need to know this as well. See, all throughout the Old Testament, there have been glimpses and shadows and prophecies, all of them pointing ahead to this one king who was coming, to set up a kingdom like no other kingdom. And I'm thankful that from our vantage point, we can see more clearly, not because we're smarter than they are, but because God's word has been completed now. And we can see clearly this, this great truth, that Jesus is the stone. God's kingdom comes when Jesus comes. Jesus recognized himself to be the fulfillment of this and other prophecies about a stone that was coming. Psalm 118 talks about the stone that the builders rejected becoming the cornerstone. Everything was going to be built on this stone. And when Jesus comes, he lets them know that that's him. When he's talking to a group of people in Luke 20, 17 to 18, 
Jesus says this, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus is saying, this is me. I am the king. You were told of another king who was coming. I am that king. And his disciples who didn't get everything during the time that he was with them certainly got it once the Holy Spirit came to dwell in them. And I love this passage from Acts chapter 4. Remember Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had just healed a man and they were in trouble for it. And the people who were angry at them got to hear some good news. And here's the good news that Peter shared with them. He said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I love the boldness of Peter. I love the clarity of that. And I love how it shows Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Daniel. That this is not about this empire and that empire as much as it is about Jesus, the king who is coming to set up a different kind of kingdom. And there is salvation found in no one else. There will be destruction. There will be the Father's righteous and just wrath for anyone who does not found in Christ. There's salvation in no one else. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so that just begs the question for us. Have you submitted yourself to King Jesus? Does he have your allegiance? Is he your king? Are you a citizen who was once a part of the domain of darkness, who has now been brought into the kingdom of the Son. How does that happen? That happens when you hear the good news that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin. Good news that you've heard in song after song that we've sung this morning. You hear that good news, you believe it, and you trust that, hey, I'm not a very good king. I'm not always right. I don't always do what is good. I don't always say what is true. But there is a king who has always done what is right, who has always said what is true. And his name is Jesus. And I submit myself to him. I live under his authority, under his good rule, under his reign. King Jesus, is this what you have done? Now I'd love to talk to you more about what it looks like to submit yourself to King Jesus. I don't want to skip over, so we'll just quickly look at, before we prepare for communion, these final verses where we see a couple of responses from the king. The first response is awe. Because nobody could tell him. Remember how Daniel pointed that out last week? He's like, king, just a reminder, nobody that you've hired, none of your experts, none of them could do what you've asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And so the king is rightly in awe. Nobody else could figure this out. But this guy just told me, and his God must be a great God. So he actually falls upon his face and pays homage to Daniel rather than to God. But he also acknowledges that Daniel's God is God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries. He 
because Daniel's been able to reveal the mystery. So the king's first response is awe, and his second response is, I'm going to give you a better job, a promotion. So Daniel was supposed to be killed. That was the plan, and now instead he's getting a promotion, right? And his promotion is that he gets to be ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And since the king is being quite generous, Daniel takes advantage of that and speaks up for his friends. Yeah, I got these friends. How about them? And they get a better job as well. So they go and they're ruler over a different part of the empire, and Daniel stays next to the king, ruling over a number of things from right there in the king's court. So that's how chapter 2 ends. But I want to do some final application that I think will help prepare us for communion this morning. You know, as I read through Scripture, Mark talks about reading through Jeremiah, reading through Daniel, studying through that. Don't, don't, don't you find yourself really grateful that God has put us in a time like he's put us in? We have so much more freedom and so much more security, so much more prosperity than most of the people that we read about in Scripture. I'd rather live in the United States of America in 2019 than in Babylon in 600 B.C. It's a good place to live. And on a weekend filled with patriotism, I think it's good that we would recognize that this is a good place to live and good to be thankful, grateful to be Americans. But while I'm grateful to be an American, my hope is not in America. We are a world power right now, but like other nations before us, we have an expiration date. So while I'm grateful to be an American, I'm eternally grateful to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, a child of the king through faith in Jesus. This is a much better place for us to be. See, his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. He's a different kind of king who has a different kind of power. Everybody, even in Jesus' day, expected him to be a certain kind of king who would come and rule in a certain kind of way, who would come and, and, and work for a certain nation. Yet Jesus makes it clear to them throughout his ministry that he's a different kind of king who's going to reign in a different kind of way with a different kind of power. And so it's odd a little bit, isn't it, that the symbol that we have outside of our church building and, and hanging up right here and in other places is a cross an instrument of execution. Jesus was put to death on a cross. Kings are supposed to be in palaces wearing crowns, but our king wasn't born uh, in, a, in a wealthy, in a royal palace, laid in a royal cradle, but our king was born to a young mother and laid in an animal's feeding trough. Our king grew up to be perfectly obedient and submissive to his parents, to the law of God, loving God, loving others throughout his earthly ministry until he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did get a crown, but the crown was made out of thorns. Jesus is a different kind of king who rules in a different way. And we see his power on display in something like a cross which to most people would have been a symbol of death, of defeat, of weakness. 
But we can see the power of the cross when we read passages like Colossians 2. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I love how it points out that on the cross, Jesus was doing this work, disarming the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame, triumphing over them in Him. One singer says this, he says, The cross meant to kill is our victory. On the cross, we see the power of God on display. A power that can save rebellious sinners like you and I. Destined for hell. Can rescue us from that. Giving us new life in Christ. And so as we come to take communion here in a little bit, that's what we come to remember. We come to remember the cross. The power of our God on display. The fact that we have a different kind of king who rules in a different kind of way, who invites us into and calls us into and makes us a part of a very different kingdom, a kingdom that will stand forever. We're grateful people. Let's pray. God, we are grateful to be people living in this place at this time. And we're grateful above all that we who have been rescued from our sin, are called to be a part of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so God, now as we turn our attention to Jesus, as we look to the cross, help us to see the power of the cross. Help us to see our name written in the wounds. That it's not just a a historical event that Jesus died on a cross, but that we would see our name written in the wounds that we would know that it's only through your suffering that we become free. That as we sing the lines, death is crushed to death, life is mine to live, one through your selfless love, we would remember the power of the cross, that the Son of God was slain for us, that we would say, what a love, what a cost, because we now stand forgiven at the cross. So God, would you use this song as we sing it together? to prepare us to remember once again what it is that Christ has come to do for us. Something that we could not do on our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.